CD 9. It wasn't fast going through the streets with the crew. To them the world was a permanent theatre, art gallery, music hall, restaurant and spittoon, and in any case no member of the crew would dream of going anywhere in a straight line. The poodle Trixie Bell accompanied them, keeping as close to the centre of the group as possible. Of deep bone there was no sign. William had offered to carry Waffles, because, in a way, he felt he owned him. A hundred dollars' worth of him, at least. It was a hundred dollars he hadn't got, but, well, surely tomorrow's edition would pay for that. And anyone after the dog now surely wouldn't try anything out here on the street in broad daylight, especially since it was barely narrow daylight now. Clouds filled the sky like old eiderdowns. The fog that was descending was meeting the river mist coming up, and the light was draining out of everything. He tried to think of the headline. He couldn't quite get a grip on it yet. There was too much to say, and he wasn't good at getting the huge complexities of the world into fewer than half a dozen words. Saccharissa was better at it, because she treated words as lumps of letters that could be hammered together any old how. Her best one had been on some tedious inter-guild squabble, and in single column read, Probe into Shock Guild Rumpus. William just wasn't used to the idea of evaluating words purely in terms of their length, whereas she'd picked up the habit in two days. He'd already had to stop her calling Lord Vetinari City Boss. It was technically correct that if you spent some time with a thesaurus, you could arrive at that description, and it did fit in a single column, but the sight of the words had made William feel extremely exposed. It was self-absorption like this that allowed him to walk into the printing shed with the crew tagging along and not notice anything wrong until he saw the expression on the faces of the dwarfs. "'Ah, oh, our writer, man,' said Mr Pin, stepping forward. "'Shut the door, Mr Tulip.' Mr Tulip slammed the door with one hand. The other was clamped over Saccharissa's mouth. She rolled her eyes at William. "'And you've brought me the little doggy,' said Mr Pin. Waffles started to growl as he approached. William backed away. "'The watch will be here soon,' said William. Waffles still growled on a rising note. "'Doesn't worry me now,' said Mr Pin. "'Not with what I know. Not with who I know. "'Where's the damn vampire?' "'I don't know. He's not always with us,' snapped William. "'Really?' "'In that case, let me retort,' said Mr Pin, his pistol-bow inches from William's face. If it doesn't arrive within two minutes, I will... Waffles leapt out of William's arms. His bark was the frantic whirr-whirr of a small dog mad with fury. Pin reared back, one arm raised to protect his face. The bow fired. The arrow hit one of the lamps over the press. The lamp exploded. A cloud of burning oil rained down. It spattered across type metal and old rocking horses and dwarfs. Mr Tulip let go of Saccharissa to help his colleague, and in the slow dance of rushing events, Saccharissa spun round and planted her knee hard and firmly in the place that made a parsnip a very funny thing indeed. William grabbed her on the way past and rushed her out into the freezing air. When he fought his way back in through the stampeding crew, who had the same instinctive reaction to fire as they did to soap and water, it was into a room full of burning debris. Dwarfs were fighting fires in the rubbish, Dwarfs were fighting fires in their beards. Several were advancing on Mr Tulip, who was on his hands and knees and throwing up. And Mr Pin was spinning around, flailing at an enraged Waffles, who was managing to growl while sinking his teeth into Pin's arm all the way to the bone. William cupped his hands. "'Get out right now!' he yelled. "'The tins!' One or two dwarfs heard him and looked around at the shelves of old paint tins just as the first one blew off its lid. The tins were ancient, no more now than rust held together with chemical sludge. Several others were starting to burn. Mr Pin danced across the floor, trying to shake the enraged dog from his arm. "'Get the damn thing off of me!' he yelled. "'Forget that ink, dog! My ink suit's on fire!' shouted Mr Tulip, flailing at his own sleeve. A tin of what had once been enamel paint took off from the blazing mess, spinning with a zip-zip noise, and exploded on the press. William grabbed Goodmountain's shoulder... I said, come on! My press, it's on fire! Better it than us! Come on! It was said of the dwarfs that they cared more about things like iron and gold than they did about people, because there was only a limited supply of iron and gold in the world, whereas there seemed to be more and more people everywhere you looked. 
It was said mostly by people like Mr. Windling. But they did care fiercely about things. Without things, people were just bright animals. The printers clustered around the doorway, axes at the ready. Choking brown smoke billowed out. Flames licked out among the roof eaves. Several sections of tin roof buckled and collapsed. As they did so, a smouldering ball rocketed out through the door, and three dwarfs who took a swipe only just missed hitting one another. It was Waffles. Patches of fur were still smoking, but his eyes gleamed, and he was still whining and growling. He let William pick him up. He had a triumphant air about him, and turned to watch the burning doorway with his ears cocked. "'That must be it, then,' said Sacharissa. "'They might have got out of the back door,' said Good Mountain. "'Bodney, some of you go round and check, will you?' "'Plucky dog, this,' said William. "'Brave?' "'Would be better,' said Sacharissa, distantly. "'It's only five letters. "'It would look better in a single column sidebar. "'No. "'Plucky would work, because then we'd get "'Plucky dog puts bite on villains.' "'Although that first line is a bit shy.' "'I wish I could think in headlines,' said William, shivering. "'It was cool and damp down here in the cellar.' Mr. Pin dragged himself to a corner and slapped at the burns on his suit. "'We're entrapped!' moaned Tulip. "'Yeah, this is stone,' said Pin. "'Stone floor, stone walls, stone ceiling, stone doesn't burn, OK? "'We just stay nice and calm down here and wait it out.' Mr. Tulip listened to the sound of the fire above them. Red and yellow light danced on the floor under the cellar hatchway. "'I don't ing like it,' he said. "'We've seen worse.' I don't ing like it. Just keep cool. We're going to get out of this. I wasn't born to fry. The flames roared around the press. A few late paint tins pinwheeled through the heat, spraying burning droplets. The fire was yellow-white at the heart, and now it crackled around the metal forms that held the type. Silver beads appeared around the leaden, inky slugs. Letters shifted... Settled, ran together. For a moment, the words themselves floated on the melting metal. Innocent words like thee and truth and shall make ye fear. And then they were lost. From the red-hot press and the wooden boxes and amongst the racks and racks of type and even out of the piles of carefully stockpiled metal, thin streams began to flow. They met and merged and spread. Soon the floor was a moving, rippling mirror in which the orange and yellow flames danced upside down. On Otto's workbench, the salamanders detected the heat. They liked heat. Their ancestors had evolved in volcanoes. They woke up and began to purr. Mr Tulip, walking up and down the cellar like a trapped animal, picked up one of the cages and glared at the creatures. "'What are these ing things?' he said, and dropped it back on the bench. Then he noticed the dark jar next to it. And why is it Ingot and all viz care on this one? The eels were already edgy. They could detect heat too, and they were creatures of deep caves and buried icy streams. There was a flash of dark as they protested. Most of it went straight through the brain of Mr Tulip. But such as was left of that ragged organ had survived his every attempt at scrambling, and in any case... Mr Tulip didn't use it much, because it hurt such a lot. But there was a brief remembrance of snow and fir woods and burning buildings and the church. They'd sheltered there. He'd been small. He remembered big shining paintings, more colours than he'd ever seen before. He blinked and dropped the jar. It shattered on the floor. There was another burst of dark from the eels. They wriggled desperately out of the wreckage and slithered along the edge of the wall, squeezing into the cracks between the stones. Mr Tulip turned at a sound behind him. His colleague had collapsed to his knees and was clutching at his head. "'You're right.' "'They're right behind me,' Pin whispered. "'Nah, just you and me down here, old friend.' Mr Tulip patted Mr Pin on the shoulder. The veins on his forehead stood out with the effort of thinking something to do next. The memory had gone. Young Tulip had learned how to edit memories. What Mr Pin needed, he decided, was to remember the good times. "'Aye!' "'Remember when Gerhardt the Boot and his lads had us cornered in that ing cellar in Quirm?' he said. "'Remember what we did to him afterwards?' "'Yes,' said Mr Pin, staring at the blank wall. "'I remember.' 
And that time with that old man who was in that house in Genua, and we didn't ing know, so we nailed up the door and... Shut up! Shut up! Just trying to look on the ing bright side. We shouldn't have killed all those people, Mr Pin whispered, almost to himself. Why not? said Mr Tulip. But Pin's nervousness had got through to him again. He pulled at the leather cord around his neck and felt the reassuring lump on the end. A potato can be a great help in times of trial. A pattering behind him made him turn round, and he brightened up. Anyway, we're OK now, he said. Looks like it's ing raining. Silver droplets were pouring through the cellar hatch. That's not water, screamed Pin, standing up. The drops ran together, became a steady stream. It splashed oddly and mounded up under the hatch, but more liquid poured on top of it and spread out across the floor. Pin and Tulip backed against the far wall. That's hot lead, said Pin. They print their paper with it. How ing much is there going to be? Down here. Can't end up more than a couple of inches, can it? At the other side of the cellar, Otto's bench started to smoulder as the pool touched it. We need something to stand on, said Pin. Just while it cools. It won't take long in this chill. Yeah, but there's nothing here but us. We're entrapped. Mr Pin put his hand over his eyes for a moment and took a deep breath of air that was already getting very warm in the soft silver rain. He opened his eyes again. Mr Tulip was watching him obediently. Mr Pin was the thinker. I've got a plan, he said. Yeah, good, right. My plans are pretty good, right? Yeah, you come up with some ing wonders, I've always said, like when you said we should twist the... And I'm always thinking about the good of the firm, right? Yeah, sure, right. So, this plan, it's not like a perfect plan, but... Oh, the hell with it. Give me your potato. What? Suddenly Mr Pin's arm was stretched out, his crossbow an inch from Mr Tulip's neck. No time to argue. Give me the damn potato right now. This is no time for you to think. Uncertain, but trusting as ever in Mr Pin's survival abilities in a tight corner, Mr Tulip pulled the thong of the potato over his head and handed it to Mr Pin. Right, said Mr Pin, one side of his face beginning to twitch. The way I see it... You better hurry, said Mr Tulip. It's only a couple of inches away. The way I see it... I'm a small man, Mr Tulip. You couldn't stand on me. I wouldn't do. You're a big man, Mr Tulip. I wouldn't want to see you suffer. And he pulled the trigger. It was a good shot. Sorry, he whispered as the lead splashed. Sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. But I wasn't born to fry. Mr Tulip opened his eyes. There was darkness around him, but with a suggestion of stars overhead behind an overcast sky. The air was still, but there was distant soughing, as of wind in dead trees. He waited a while to see if anything would happen, and then said, Anyone in there? Just me, Mr Tulip. Some of the darkness opened its eyes, and two blue glows looked down at him. The ing bastard stole my potato! Are you ing death? Just death will suffice, I think. Who were you expecting? Eh? For what? To claim you as one of theirs. Don't I really? I never ing thought. You never speculated. All I know is you've got to have your potato and then it will be all right. Mr Tulip parroted the sentence without thinking, but it was coming back now in the total recall of the dead, from a vantage point of two feet off the ground and three years of age. Old men mumbling, old women weeping, shafts of light through holy windows, the sound of wind under the doors and every ear straining to hear the soldiers. Us or theirs didn't matter when a war had gone on this long. Death gave the shade of Mr Tulip a long, cool stare. And that's it? Right. You didn't think there were any bits you might have missed? The sound of wind under the doors, the smell of the oil lamps, the fresh acid smell of snow blowing in through the... And if I'm sorry for everything, he mumbled. 
He was lost in a world of darkness, without a potato to his name. Candlesticks. They'd been made of gold hundreds of years ago. There were only ever potatoes to eat, grubbed up from under the snow, but the candlesticks were of gold. And some old woman, she'd said, "'It'll turn out right if you've got a potato.' "'Was any god of some sort mentioned to you at any point?' "'No.' "'Damn!' "'I wish they didn't leave me to deal with this sort of thing,' Death sighed. "'You believe, but you don't believe in anything.' Mr. Tulip stood with his head bowed. More memories were trickling back now, like blood under a closed door, and the knob was rattling, and the lock had failed. Death nodded at him. "'At least you still have your potato, I see.' Mr. Tulip's hand flew to his neck. There was something wizened and hard there on the end of a string. It had a ghostly shimmer to it. "'I thought he got it,' he said, his face alight with hope. "'Ah, well. You never know when a potato might turn up.' "'So it's all going to be all right?' "'What do you think?' Mr. Tulip swallowed. Lies did not survive long out here, and more recent memories were squeezing under the door now, bloody and vengeful. "'I think it's going to take more than a potato,' he said. "'Are you sorry for everything?' More unused bits of Mr Tulip's brain, which had shut down long ago, or had never even opened up, came into play. "'How will I know?' he said. Death waved a hand through the air. Along the arc described by the bony fingers appeared a line of hourglasses. "'I understand you are a connoisseur, Mr Tulip. In a small way, so am I.' Death selected one of the glasses and held it up. Images appeared around it, bright but insubstantial as shadow. "'What are they?' said Tulip. "'Lives, Mr Tulip. Just lives. Not all masterpieces, obviously.' often rather naïf in their use of emotion and action, but nevertheless full of interest and surprise, and each in their own way a work of some genius, and certainly very collectible. Death picked up an hourglass as Mr. Tulip tried to back away. Yes, collectible, because if I had to find a way to describe these lives, Mr. Tulip, that word would be shorter. Death selected another hourglass. Ah, Nagar Velsky. You will not remember him, of course. He was simply a man who walked into his rather simple little hut at the wrong time. And you are a busy man, and cannot be expected to remember everyone. Note the mind. A brilliant mind that might in other circumstances have changed the world. Doomed to be born into a time and place where life was nothing but a daily hopeless struggle. Nevertheless, in his tiny village, right up until the day he found you stealing his coat, he did his best to... Mr. Tulip raised a trembling hand. Is this the bit where my whole life passes in front of my eyes? he said. No, that was the bit just now. Which bit? The bit, said Death, between your being born and your dying. No, this, Mr. Tulip, this is your whole life as it passed before other people's eyes. By the time the golems arrived, it was all over. The fire had been fierce but short-lived. It had stopped because there wasn't anything left to burn. The crowd that always turns up to watch a fire then dispersed until the next one, reckoning that this one had not scored very highly, what with no one dying. The walls were still standing, half the tin roof had fallen in, sleet had begun to fall too, and now it hissed on a hot stone as William picked his way cautiously through the debris. The press was visible in the light of the few fires still smouldering. William heard it sizzling under the sleet. Repairable, he said to Good Mountain, who was following him, not a chance. The frame, maybe, will salvage what we can. Look, I'm so sorry. Not your fault, said the dwarf, kicking at a smoking can. And look on the bright side. We still owe Harry King a lot of money. Don't remind me, 
I don't need to. He'll remind you, us, rather.' William wrapped his jacket around his sleeve and pushed aside some of the roof. "'The desks are still here.' "'Fire can be funny like that,' said Goodmountain gloomily. "'And the roof probably kept the worst of it away. "'I mean, they're half charred, but they're still usable.' "'Oh, well, we're home and dry, then,' said the dwarf, now sliding towards Glumley. "'How soon do you want the next edition?' "'Look, even the spike. "'There's even bits of paper that are hardly charred. "'Life is full of unexpected treasure,' said Goodmountain. "'I don't think you should come in here, miss.' "'This was to Saccharissa, who was picking her way across the smouldering ruins. "'It's where I work,' she said. "'Can you repair the press?' "'No, it's done for. It's scrap.' "'We've got no press and no type and no metal. "'Can you both hear me?' "'Okay, so we've got to get another press,' said Saccharissa evenly. "'Even an old scrap one would cost a thousand dollars,' said Goodmountain. "'Look, it's over. There is nothing left.' "'I've got some savings,' said Saccharissa, pushing the rubble off her desk. "'Perhaps we can get one of those little hand presses to be going on with.' "'I'm in debt,' said William, "'but I could probably go into debt for another few hundred dollars.' "'Do you think we could go on working if we put a tarpaulin over the roof, "'or should we move to somewhere else?' said Saccharissa. "'I don't want to move. "'A few days' work should get this place in shape,' said William. "'Good Mountain cupped his hands around his mouth. "'Hello! This is sanity calling. We have no money.' "'There's not much room to expand, though,' said Saccharissa. "'In what way?' "'Magazines,' said Saccharissa, as the sleet settled in her hair. "'Around her the other dwarfs spread out on a hopeless salvage operation.' "'Yes, I know the paper's important, but there's a lot of dead time on the press, "'and, well, I'm sure there'd be a market for something like, well, a magazine for ladies.' "'Dead time on the press,' said Goodmountain. "'The press is dead!' "'What about?' said William, completely ignoring him. "'Oh, fashion. Pictures of women wearing new clothes, knitting, that sort of thing. "'And don't you go telling me it's too dull. People will buy it.' "'Clothes? Knitting?' "'People are interested in that sort of thing.' "'I don't like that idea much,' said William. "'You might as well say we should have a magazine just for men. "'Why not? What would you put in it?' "'Oh, I don't know. Articles about drink? "'Pictures of women not wearing... Uh, "'Anyway, we'd need more people to write for them.' "'Excuse me,' said Goodmountain. "'Lots of people could write well enough for that sort of thing,' said Saccharissa. "'If it was clever, we wouldn't be able to do it.' "'That's true.' "'And there's another magazine that would sell, too,' said Saccharissa. "'Behind her, a piece of the press collapsed. "'Hello? Hello! I know my mouth is opening and shutting,' said Goodmountain. "'Is any sound getting out?' "'Cats,' said Saccharissa. "'Lots of people like cats. Pictures of cats. Stories about cats. "'I've been thinking about it. It could be called Completely Cats. "'To go with Completely Women and Completely Men. Completely Knitting.' "'Completely cake. "'I had thought of calling it something like "'The Lady's Home Companion,' said Saccharissa. "'But your title has got a certain ring, I must admit. "'Ring, yes. Now that's another thing. "'There's all the dwarfs in the city. "'We could produce a magazine for them. "'I mean, what's the modern dwarf wearing this season?' "'Chainmail and leather,' said Goodmountain, suddenly perplexed. "'What are you talking about? "'It's always chainmail and leather.' "'Saccharissa ignored him.' The two of them were in a world of their own, Goodmountain realised. It had nothing to do with the real one any more. "'Seems a bit of a waste, though,' said William. "'A waste of words, I mean.' "'Why? There's always more of them,' Saccharissa patted him gently on the cheek. "'You think you're writing words that'll last forever. It's not like that. This newspaper stuff, that's words that last for a day, maybe a week.' "'And then they get thrown away,' said William. "'Perhaps a few hang on in people's heads?' "'That's not where the paper ends up,' said William. "'Quite the reverse.' "'What did you expect? These aren't books. They're words that come and go. Cheer up!' "'There's a problem,' said William. "'Yes?' "'We haven't got enough money for a new press. Our shed has been burned down. We are out of business. It's all over. Do you understand?' Saccharissa looked down. "'Yes.' she said meekly. I just hoped you didn't. And we were so close, so close. William pulled out his notebook. We could have run with this. I've got nearly the whole thing. All I can do with it now is give it to Vimes. 
Where's the lead? William looked across the wreckage. Bodney was crouching by the smoking press, trying to see under it. There's not a sign of the lead, he said. It's got to be somewhere, said Good Mountain. In my experience, twenty tons of lead just not just get up and walk away. It must have melted, said Bodney. There's a few blobs on the floor. The cellar, said Good Mountain. Give me a hand here, will you? He grabbed a blackened beam. Here, I'll help, said William, coming round the stricken desk. It's not as though I've got anything better to do. He got a grip on the tangle of charred wood and pulled. Mr. Pin arose from the pit like a demon king. Smoke poured off him, and he was screaming one long, incoherent scream. He rose and rose and knocked Good Mountain aside with a round-arm sweep, and then his arms clamped around William's neck, and still his leap propelled him up. William fell backwards. He landed on the desk and felt a stab of pain as some piece of debris went through the flesh of his arm. But there was no time to think about pain that had happened. It was imminent pain that occupied all his future. The face of the creature was inches away, eyes wide and staring through him at something horrible, but his hands were tight around William's neck. William would never have dreamed of using a cliché as tired as vice-like grip, but as consciousness became a red-walled tunnel, the editor inside him said, yes, that's what it would be like, the sheer mechanical pressures that... The eyes crossed, the scream stopped, the man staggered sideways, half-crouched. As William raised his head, he saw Saccharissa stepping backwards. The editor chittered away in his head, watching him, watching her. She'd kicked the man in the... Uh, you know. It had to be the influence of those humorous vegetables. It had to be. And he had to get the story. William rose to his feet and waved frantically at the dwarfs, who were advancing with their axes at the ready. Wait, wait, and look, you, um, uh, Brother Pin... He winced at the pain in his arm, looked down and saw with horror the evil length of the spike poking through the cloth of his jacket. Mr. Pin tried to focus on the boy grappling with his arm, but the shadows wouldn't let him. He wasn't certain now that he was still alive. Yes, that was it. He, he must be dead. All this smoke, people shouting, all the voices whispering in his ear. This was some kind of hell, but, ha-ha, he had a return ticket. He managed to straighten up. He fished the potato of the late Mr. Tulip out of his shirt. He held it aloft. "'Got my potato,' he said proudly. "'More right, OK?' William stared at the smoke-stained, red-eyed face with its horrible expression of triumph, and then at the shrunken vegetable on the end of its string. His grip on reality was at the moment almost as slippery as Mr. Pin's, and people showing him a potato seemed to mean only one thing. "'Um... "'It's not a very funny one, is it?' he said, wincing as he tugged at the spike. Mr. Pin's last train of thought jumped the rails. He let go of the potato, and with a movement that owed nothing to thought and everything to instinct, pulled a long dagger from inside his jacket. The figure in front of him was fading into just another shadow, among many now, and he lunged madly. William pulled the metal free, and his hand flew out in front of him, and that, for the moment was everything that Mr. Pin ever knew. The sleet hissed on a few remaining embers. William stared into the puzzled face as the light in the eyes went out, and the attacker sagged slowly to the ground, one hand fiercely hanging on to the potato. "'Oh,' said Saccharissa distantly, "'you spiked him.' Blood dripped down William's sleeve. "'I... uh... "'I think I could do with a bandage,' he said. "'Ice shouldn't be hot,' he knew, "'but shock was filling his veins with a burning chill. "'He was sweating ice. "'Saccharissa ran forward, tearing at the sleeve of her blouse. "'I don't think it's bad,' said William, trying to back away. "'I just think it's one of those enthusiastic wounds.' "'What has been happening here?' William looked at the blood on his hand and then at Otto, standing on top of a pile of rubble, with an amazed look on his face and a couple of packages in his hands. "'I just go away for five minutes to buy some more acids, and suddenly the whole place... Oh, dear, oh, dear!' Good Mountain pulled a tuning fork out of his pocket and twanged it on his helmet. "'Quick, lads!' he waved the fork in the air. Oh, "'Will you come to the mission?' Otto waved his hand gently as the dwarfs began to sing. "'No, I am well on top of it. Thank you all the same,' he said. "'We know what all this is about, don't we? "'It was a mob, yes? "'There is always a mob sooner or later. "'They got my friend Boris.' 
He showed them the black ribbon, but they just laughed, and... I think they were after all of us, said William. I wish I'd had a chance to ask him a few questions, even so. You mean, like, is this the first time you've strangled anyone, said Botany, or how old are you, Mr. Killer? Something started to cough. It seemed to be coming from the pocket of the man's jacket. William looked around at the stunned dwarfs to see if anyone else had a clue about what it was he should do next. Then he reluctantly patted the greasy suit with extreme care and pulled out a slim, polished box. He opened it. A small green imp peered out of its slot. Hmm? it said. What? A personal disorganiser, said William. A killer with a personal disorganiser? The things to do today section is going to be interesting, then, said Bodney. The imp blinked at him. "'Do you want me to reply or not?' it said. "'Insert name here. Requested silence, despite my range of sounds, to suit any mood or occasion.' "'Um, your previous owner is... previous,' said William, looking down at the cooling Mr. Pin. "'You're a new owner,' said the imp. "'Well, possibly.' "'Congratulations,' said the imp. "'Warranty not applicable if said device is sold, hired, transferred, gifted or stolen, "'unless in original packaging and extraneous materials, "'which by then you will have thrown away, "'and part two of the warranty card, which you have lost, "'has been filled in and sent to scores "'and quoting the reference number, which you did not in fact make a note of. "'Do you want me to wipe the contents of my memory?' "'It produced a cotton wool bud and prepared to insert it into one very large ear. "'Erase memory, Y, stroke, N. "'Your memory?' "'Yes, erase memory, Y stroke N.' "'N,' said William. "'And now tell me what exactly it is you are remembering,' he added. "'You have to press the recall button,' said the imp impatiently. "'And that will do what?' "'A small hammer hit me on the head, and I looked to see what button you pressed. "'Why don't you just, well, recall?' "'Look, I don't make the rules. You've got to press the button. It's in the manual.' William carefully pushed the box to one side. There were several velvet bags in the dead man's pocket. He put these on the desk, too. Some of the dwarfs had gone a little way down the iron ladder into the cellar. Bodney climbed back out again, looking thoughtful. "'There's a man down there,' he said, "'lying in... lead.' "'Dead?' said William, looking carefully at the bags. "'I hope so. I really hope so. "'You could say he made a bit of an impression.' He's a bit on the cooked side, and there's an arrow through his head. William, you realise that you are robbing a corpse, said Sacharissa. Good, said William distantly. Best time. He upended a bag and jewels spilled across the charred wood. There was a strangled noise from Good Mountain. Next to gold, jewels were a dwarf's best friend. William emptied the other bags. How much do you think this lot is worth? he said, when the gems stopped rolling and twinkling. Good Mountain had already whipped an eyeglass from an inside pocket and was inspecting a few of the larger stones. What? Eh? Oh, tens of thousands. Could be hundred thousand. Could be a lot more. This one here is worth fifteen hundred, I reckon, and it's not the best of them. He must have stolen them, said Sacharissa. No, said William calmly. We'd have heard about a theft this big. We hear about things. "'A young man would certainly have told you. "'Check to see if he has a wallet, will you?' "'The very idea. And what?' "'Check for a damn wallet, will you?' said William. "'This is a story. I'm going to check his legs, "'and I'm not looking forward to that either. "'But this is a story. We can have hysterics later. "'Do it, please.' "'There was a half-heeled bite on the dead man's leg. "'William rolled up his own trouser leg for comparison "'while Sacharissa, her eyes averted.' "'pulled a brown leather wallet out of the jacket. "'Any clue to who he is?' said William, "'carefully measuring tooth marks with his pencil. "'His mind felt strangely calm. "'He wondered if he was actually thinking at all. "'It all seemed like some dream happening in another world. "'Um, there's something done on the leather in poker work,' said Sacharissa. "'What does it say?' "'Not a very nice person at all,' she read. "'I wonder what kind of person would put that on a wallet?' "'Someone who wasn't a very nice person,' said William. "'Anything else in there?' "'There's a piece of paper with an address,' said Sacharissa. "'Uh, I didn't have time to tell you this, uh, William. "'Um, 
What does it say? It's fifty non-such street, um, which is where those men caught me. They had a key and everything. Ah, uh, that's your family's house, isn't it? What do you want me to do with these jewels? said Good Mountain. I mean, you gave me a key and everything, said Sacharissa nervously. But there was this man in the cellar, highly inebriated, and he looked just like Lord Vetinari. And then these men turned up and knocked out Rocky, and then— I'm not suggesting anything, said Good Mountain. But if these aren't stolen, then I know plenty of places that'll give us top dollar, even at this time of night. And of course, they were most impolite. But really, there was nothing I could do. We could do with a bit of immediate cash. Is the point I'm trying to make? It dawned on the girl and the dwarf that William was no longer listening. He seemed locked, blank-faced, in a little bubble of silence. Slowly, he pulled the disorganizer towards him and pressed the button marked recall. There was a muffled ouch. What's that noise? said Sacharissa. It's how an imp remembers, said William distantly. It sort of plays its life backwards. I used to have an early version of this, he added. The noise stopped. The imp said, very apprehensively, What uh, happened to it? I took it back to the shop because it wasn't working properly, said William. That's a relief, said the imp. You'd be amazed at some of the terrible things people did to the Mark I. What went wrong with it? It got flung through a third-floor window, said William, for being unhelpful. This imp was a little brighter than most of the species. It saluted smartly. Wheel, 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 nyok, 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 testing, testing, seems OK. That's Brother Pin, said Sacharissa. Say something, Mr Tulip. And the voice became the damp growl of Sister Jennifer. What'll I say? It's not natural talking to a ink box. This box, Mr Tulip, may be a passport to better times. I thought we were getting a ing money. Yes, and this will help us keep it. Nip, 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 nip. Go forward a bit, William commanded. Weird, nip, nip, nip. Dog has got personality. Personality counts for a lot, and a legal precedence. That slant, said Bodney, that lawyer. What shall I do with the jewels, said Good Mountain. Nip, 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 nip. I can add another five thousand dollars in jewels to your fee. Nip, 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 nip. I want to know who's giving me these orders. Nip, 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 nip. Not to be stupid either. My clients have long memories and deep pockets. In its terror, the imp was skipping. William pressed the pause button. Slant gave him the money, he said. Slant was paying him. Did you hear him mention clients? You understand? This is one of the men who attacked Vetinari, and they had a key to our house. But we can't just keep the money, said Sacharissa. William pressed the button again. Nip, 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 nip. They say a lie can run round the world before the truth has got its boots on. Obviously we, Sacharissa began. He pressed the button. Wheel, 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 wheel. Lie can run round the world before the truth has got its boots on. He pressed the button again. Wheel, 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 can run round the world before the truth has got its boots on. Wheel, 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 round the world before the truth has got its boots on. Wheel, wheel, truth has got its boots on. Are you all right, William? said Sacharissa, as he stood motionless. Delayed shock, Good Mountain whispered. It can take people that way. Mr. Good Mountain, said William sharply, still with his back to them, did you say you could get me another press? I said they cost a handful of rubies, perhaps? Good Mountain opened his hand. Are these ours, then? Yes. Well, in the morning I could buy a dozen presses, but it's not like buying sweets. I want to go to press in half an hour, said William. Otto, I want pictures of Brother Pin's leg. I want quotes from everyone, even foul old Ron. And a picture of waffles, Otto. And I want a printing press. I told you, where can we get a printing press at this time of night? The floor shook. The heaps of rubble shifted. All eyes turned to the high-lighted windows of the Inquirer. Sacharissa, who had been watching William wide-eyed, breathed so heavily that Otto groaned and averted his face and started to hum frantically. "'There's your press!' she shouted. "'All you have to do is get it!' "'Yeah, but just stealing it,' the dwarf began. "'Borrowing,' said William, "'and half the jewels are yours.' Good Mountain's nostrils flared. "'Let's just!' he began to yell, and then said, "'You did say half, did you?' "'Yes. Let's just do it, lads!' One of the inquirer's overseers knocked politely on Mr. Carney's door. "'Yes, Causley, 
"'Has Dibbler turned up yet?' said the inquirer's proprietor. Uh, "'No, sir, but, 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 but there's a young lady to see you. It's that Miss Cripslock,' said the overseer, wiping his hands on a rag. Carney brightened up. "'Really?' "'Yes, sir. She's in a bit of a state, and that deword fellow is with her.' Carney's smile faded a little. He'd watched the fire from his window with great glee, but he'd been bright enough not to step out into the street. Those dwarfs were pretty vicious from what he'd heard, and would be bound to blame him. In fact, he hadn't the faintest idea why the place had caught fire, but it was hardly unexpected, was it? "'Sir, it's time for the humble pie, is it?' he said, half to himself. "'Is it, sir? Send them up, will you?' He sat back and looked at the paper spread out on his desk. "'Damn that dibbler!' The odd thing was, though, that those things he wrote were like the wretched sausages he sold. You knew them for what they were, but nevertheless you kept on going to the end and coming back for more. Making them up wasn't as easy as it looked, either. Dibbler had the knack. He'd make up some story about some huge monster being seen in the lake in Hyde Park, and five readers would turn up swearing they'd seen it, too. Ordinary, everyday people, such as you might buy a loaf off. How did he do it?' Carney's desk was covered with his own failed attempts. You needed a, a special kind of imagine. Why, Sacharissa, he said, standing up as she crept into the room, do take the chair. I'm afraid I don't have one for your friend. He nodded at William. May I say how sad I was to hear about the fire? It's your office, said William coldly. You can say anything you like. Beyond the window, he could see the torches of the watch, arriving at the ruins of the old shed. He took a step back. "'Don't be like that, William,' said Sacharissa. "'It's because of that, you see, Ronnie, that we've come to you.' "'Really?' Carney smiled. "'You have been a bit of a silly girl, haven't you?' "'Yes, sir. Uh, well, all our money was—' Sacharissa sniffed. "'The fact is, well, we've just got nothing now. We worked so hard, so hard, and—' "'Now it's all gone,' she started to sob. Ronnie Carney leaned over the desk and patted her hand. "'Is there anything I can do?' he said. "'Yeah, well, I did hope. I wondered if—I mean, do you think you could see your way clear to letting us use one of your presses tonight?' Carney rocked back. "'You what? Are you mad?' Sacharissa blew her nose. "'Yes, I thought you'd probably say that,' she said sadly. Carney, slightly mollified, leaned forward and patted her hand again. "'I know we used to play together when we were children,' he began. "'I don't think we actually played,' said Sacharissa, fishing in her handbag. "'You used to chase me, and I used to hit you over the head with a wooden cow. "'Ah, here it is.' She dropped the bag, stood up, and aimed one of the late Mr. Pin's pistol bows straight at the editor. "'Let us use your ing presses, or I'll ing shoot your ing head ing off,' she screamed. "'I think that's how you're supposed to say it, isn't it?' "'You wouldn't dare pull that trigger,' said Carney, trying to crouch in his chair. "'It was such a lovely cow, and one day I hit you so hard one of the legs broke off,' said Sacharissa dreamily. Carney looked imploringly at William. "'Can't you talk some sense into her?' he said. "'We just need the loan of one of your presses for an hour or so, Mr. Carney.' said William, while Sacharissa kept the barrel of the bow aimed at the man's nose with what he judged to be a very strange smile on her face. And then we'll be gone. What are you going to do? said Carney hoarsely. Well, firstly, I'm going to tie you up, said William. No, I'll call the overseers. I think they're busy at the moment, said Sacharissa. Carney listened. It seemed unusually quiet downstairs. He sagged. The printing staff of the Inquirer were in a ring around Good Mountain. "'Right, lads,' said the dwarf. "'Here's how it works. Every man who goes home early tonight, cause of a headache, gets a hundred dollars, all right? It's an old Clatchian custom.' "'And what happens if we don't go?' said the foreman, picking up a mallet. "'Well,' said a voice by his ear, "'that's when you get a headache.' There was a flash of lightning and a roll of thunder. Otto punched the air triumphantly. "'Yes!' he shouted, as the printers ran madly towards the doors. "'When you really, really need it, there it is. Let's try once more. Castle!' The thunder rolled again. The vampire jumped up and down excitedly, vest tails flying. "'Wow! 
Now we are cooking. Once more beach feeling. What a big castle! The thunder was even louder this time. Otto did a little jig, beside himself with joy, tears running down his grey face. Music with rocks in, he yelled. In the silence after the thunder roll, William pulled a velvet bag from his pocket and tipped it out onto the desk blotter. Carney stared goggle-eyed at the jewels. Two thousand dollars worth, said William. At least. Our admission to the Guild. I'll just leave them there, shall I? No need for a receipt. We trust you. Carney said nothing, because of the gag. He had been tied to his chair. At this point, Sacharissa pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. I must have forgotten to put the pointy arrow bit in, she said, as Carney fainted away. What a silly girl I am. Ing. I feel so much better for saying that, you know. Ing. Ing, 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 ing. I wonder what it means. Gunilla Goodmountain looked expectantly at William, who swayed as he tried to think. All right, he said, closing his eyes and pinching the bridge of his nose. Triple-decker heading, as wide as you can. First line, conspiracy revealed. Got that? Next line, Lord Vetinari is innocent. He hesitated at that one, but let it go. People could argue about its general application later on. That wasn't the important thing at the moment. Yes, said Goodmountain. And the next line? I've written it down, said William, passing him a page torn from the notebook. Caps, please. Big caps. Big as you can. The sort the inquirer used for elves and exploding people. This, said the dwarf, reaching for a case of huge black letters. Is this news? It is now, said William. He flicked back through the pages of his notebook. "'Are you going to write the story down first? said the dwarf. "'No time. Ready?' "'A plot to illegally seize control of Ankh-Morpork "'was exposed last night after days of patient detective work by the watch. "'Paragraph. "'The Times understands that two assassins, both now dead, "'were hired from outside the city to blacken the character of Lord Vetinari "'and depose him as patrician. "'Paragraph. "'They used an innocent man with a remarkable resemblance to Lord Vetinari "'in order to trick their way into the palace.' "'Once inside—' "'Hold on, hold on,' said Goodmountain. "'The watch didn't get to the bottom of this, did they? You did.' "'I just said they've been working for days,' said William. "'That's true. I don't have to say they weren't getting anywhere.' He saw the look in the dwarf's eye. "'Listen, very soon I'm going to have a lot more unpleasant enemies than anyone really needs. I'd like Vimes to be angry at me for making him look good rather than for making him look bad, Okay?' "'Even so.' "'Don't argue with me.' Good Mountain didn't dare. There was a look in William's face. The boy had frozen when he was listening to the box, and now he'd unfrozen into someone else. Someone a lot more touchy and a lot less patient. He looked as though he was running a fever. Now, where was I? Once inside, said the dwarf. OK, once inside, no. Make it... The Times understands that Lord Vetinari was... Sacharissa, you said the man in the cellar looked just like Vetinari? Yes, haircut and everything. Right. The Times understands that Lord Vetinari was overwhelmed in the moment of shock on seeing himself entering his office. Do we understand that? said Sacharissa. Yes, it makes sense. Who's going to argue? Where was I? Their plan was foiled by Lord Vetinari's dog, Waffles, 16, who attacked both men. Paragraph. The noise of this attracted the attention of Lord Vetinari's clerk, Rufus Drumnot. Damn, I forgot to ask him how old he was who was then knocked unconscious. Paragraph. The attackers tried to put the interruption to good use in their... What's the good word? Oh, yes, their dastardly plan, and stabbed Drumnot with one of Lord Vetinari's own daggers in an attempt to make it look as if he was insane or murderous. Paragraph. Acting with vicious cunning... You're getting really good at this, said Sacharissa. Don't interrupt him, hissed Bodney. I want to find out what the dastards did next. With vicious cunning... They forced the bogus Lord Vetinari. Good word, good word, said Goodmountain, setting furiously. Are you certain about forced? said Sacharissa. They aren't, they weren't the kind of men who asked nicely, said William briskly. Um, forced the bogus Lord Vetinari to make a false confession to some servants who were attracted by the noise. Then all three, carrying the unconscious Lord Vetinari and harried by the dog Waffles, 16, took the stairs to the stables. Paragraph. There, they had set up a scene to suggest that Lord Vetinari had been trying to rob the city, as already reported in, exclusively in, Sacharissa said, 
right, exclusively in the Times paragraph. However, the dog, Waffles, escaped Dash and began a city-wide search by watch and criminals alike. He was found by a group of public-spirited citizens who... A piece of type dropped from Good Mountain's fingers. You mean foul old Ron and that bunch? Public-spirited citizens, William repeated, nodding furiously, who kept him hidden while... Cold winter storms had the whole of the stove plains in which to build up speed. By the time they hit Ankh-Morpork, they were fast and heavy and laden with malice. This time it took the form of hail. Fist-sized balls of ice smashed into tiles. They blocked gutters and filled the streets with shrapnel. They hammered on the roof of the warehouse in Gleam Street. One or two windows smashed. William paced up and down, shouting out his words above the force of the storm, occasionally flicking back and forth through the pages of his notebook. Otto came out and handed the dwarfs a couple of iconograph plates. The crew limped and sidled in, ready for the addition. William stopped. The last letters clicked into place. "'Let's see what it looks like so far,' said William. Good Mountain inked the type, put a piece of paper over the story, and ran a hand-roller over it. Wordlessly, he handed it to Sacharissa. "'Are you sure of all this, William?' she said. "'Yes.' "'I mean some bits.' "'Are you sure it's all true?' "'I'm sure it's all journalism,' said William. "'And what is that supposed to mean?' "'It means it's true enough for now.' "'But do you know the names of these people?' William hesitated. Then he said, "'Mr. Goodmountain, you can insert an extra paragraph anywhere in the story, can't you?' "'That's not a problem.' "'Right, then set this.' "'The Times can reveal that the assassins were hired by a group of prominent citizens led by... "'The Times can reveal that—' "'He took a deep breath. "'Start again. "'The plotters, the Times can reveal, were headed by—' "'William shook his head. "'Evidence points to, um... "'Evidence, the Times can reveal—' "'All the evidence, the Times can reveal—' uh, "'Can reveal—' "'His voice trailed off. "'This is going to be a long paragraph,' said Goodmountain. William stared miserably at the damp proof. "'No,' he said wretchedly. "'I think that's it. Let it go at that. "'Put in a line saying that the Times will be helping the watch with its inquiries.' "'Why, we're not guilty of anything, are we?' said Goodmountain. "'Just do it, please.' William screwed the proof into a ball, tossed it onto a bench, and wandered off towards the press. Sacharissa found him a few minutes later. A print room offers a mass of holes and corners, mostly used by those whose duties require the occasional bunk-off for a quiet smoke. William was sitting on a pile of paper, staring at nothing. "'Is there something you want to talk about?' she said. "'No.' "'Do you know who the conspirators are?' "'No.' "'Then would it be true to say that you suspect you know who the conspirators are?' He gave her an angry look. "'Are you trying journalism on me?' "'I'm just supposed to try it on everyone else, then, am I? "'Not you, then,' she said, sitting down beside him. "'William absent-mindedly pressed a button on the disorganiser. "'Wheedle, wheedle, wheedle, wheedle! "'A truth that's got his boots on!' "'You don't get on very well with your father. "'Is that?' Sacharissa began. "'What am I supposed to do?' said William. "'That's his favourite saying. "'He says it proves how gullible people are. "'Those men had the run of our house. "'He's in this up to his neck.' "'Yes, but perhaps he just did it as a favour to some other. "'If my father is involved in anything, he'll be the leader,' said William flatly. "'If you don't know that, you don't know the de words. "'We don't join any team if we can't be captain.' "'But it'd be a bit silly, wouldn't it, to let them use your own house?' "'No, just very, very arrogant,' said William. "'We've always been privileged, you see. "'Privilege just means private law. "'That's exactly what it means.' He just doesn't believe the ordinary laws apply to him. He doesn't really believe they can touch him. And if they do, he'll just shout until they go away. That's the de word tradition, and we're good at it. Shout at people, get your own way, ignore the rules. It's the de word way. Up until me, obviously. Sacharissa was careful not to let her expression change. And I didn't expect this, William finished, turning the box over and over in his hands. You said you wanted to get at the truth, didn't you? "'Yes, but not this. "'I must have got something wrong. "'I must have. I must have. "'Even my father couldn't be this... this stupid. "'I've got to find out what's really been happening.' 
"'You're not going to see him, are you?' said Sacharissa. "'Yes. By now he'll know it's over.' "'Then you ought to take someone with you.' "'No,' snapped William. "'Look, you don't know what my father's friends are like. "'They are brought up to give orders. "'They know that they're on the right side, "'because if they are on it, then it must be the right side, by definition. "'And when they feel threatened, they're bare-knuckle fighters, "'except that they never take their gloves off. "'They're thugs.' "'Thugs and bullies, bullies, and the worst kind of bully, "'because they aren't cowards, and if you stand up to them, "'they only hit you harder. "'They grew up in a world where, if you were enough trouble, "'they could have you disappeared. "'You think places like the Shades are bad? "'Then you don't know what goes on in Park Lane. "'And my father is one of the worst. "'But I'm family. "'We care about family, so I'll be all right. "'You stay here and help them get the paper out, will you? "'Half a truth is better than nothing.' he added bitterly. "'What was all that about?' said Otto, coming up as William strode out of the room. "'Oh, he's... he's off to see his father,' said Sacharissa, still taken aback. "'Who is not a nice man, apparently. He was very... heated about him, very upset.' "'Excuse me,' said a voice. The girl turned, but there was no one behind her. Now the invisible speaker sighed. "'No, down here,' it said. She looked down at the malformed pink poodle. "'Let's not mess around, eh?' it said. "'Yeah, yeah, dogs can't talk. Got it in one, well done. So maybe you've got some strange mental power. That's that sorted out, then. I couldn't help overhearing, cos I was listening. The lad's heading into trouble, right? I can smell trouble.' "'Are you some kind of werewolf?' said Otto. "'Yeah, right. I get very airy every full moon,' said the dog dismissively. "'Imagine how much that interferes with my social life. "'Now, look.' "'But surely dogs can't talk,' Sacharissa began. "'Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear,' said Gaspode. "'Did I say I was talking?' "'Well, not in so many words.' "'Right. Wonderful thing, phenomenology. "'Now, I just seen a hundred dollars walk out the door, "'and I want to see it walk back, right? "'Lord de Word is as nasty a piece of work as you'll find in this town.' "'You?' "'No nobility?' said Sacharissa. "'A cat can look at a king, right? That's legal.' "'I suppose so. So it works for dogs, too. "'Got to work for dogs if it works for rat-bag moggies. "'I know everyone I do. "'Lord de Word used to get his butler to put down poisoned meat for the street dogs.' "'But he wouldn't hurt William, would he?' "'I'm not a betting man,' said Gaspode. "'But if he does, right, we still get the hundred dollars, yeah?' "'We cannot stand by and let him do this,' said Otto. "'I like William. "'He was not brought up nice, but he tries to be a nice person, "'without even Coco and a sing-song to help him. "'It is hard to go against your nature. "'We must help him.' "'Death placed the final hourglass back onto the air, "'where it faded away. "'There,' he said, "'wasn't that interesting. "'What next, Mr. Tulip?' "'Are you ready to go?' "'The figure sat on the cold sand, staring at nothing. "'Mr. Tulip,' Death repeated. "'The wind flapped his robe, so that it streamed out a long ribbon of darkness. "'I've got to be really sorry.' "'Oh, yes. It is such a simple word, but here it has meaning. "'It has substance.' "'Yeah, I know.' Mr. Tulip looked up, his eyes red-rimmed, his face puffy. "'I reckon. To be that sorry, you've got to take a in-good run at it.' "'Yes.' "'So, how long have I got?' Death looked up at the strange stars. "'All the time in the world.' "'Yeah, well, maybe that'll in-do it. Maybe there won't be no more world to go back to by then.' I believe it does not work like that. I understand reincarnation can take place any when. Who says lives are serial? You saying I could be alive before I was born? Yes. Maybe I can find me and kill myself, said Mr. Tulip, staring at the sand. No, because you will never know, and you may be leading quite a different life. Good. Death patted Mr. Tulip on the shoulder, which flinched under his touch. "'I shall leave you now.' "'It's a good scythe you got there,' said Mr. Tulip, 
slowly and laboriously. That silverworks, craftsmanship, if I ever saw it. Thank you, said Death. And now I really must be going, but I will pass through here sometimes. My door, he added, is always open. He strode off. The hunched figure fell behind into the darkness, but a new one appeared, running madly across the not-exactly sand. It was waving a potato on a string. It stopped when it saw death, and then, to death's amazement, turned to look behind it. This had never happened before. Most people, upon coming face to face with death, ceased worrying about anything behind them. "'Is there anyone after me? Can you see anyone?' "'Er, uh, no. Were you expecting anyone?' "'Oh, right, no one, eh? <laughs> right.' said Mr. Pin, squaring his shoulders. "'Yeah! Ha! Hey, look, I've got my potato!' Death blinked, and then took an hourglass out of his robe. "'Mr. Pin, ah, the other one. I have been expecting you.' "'That's me, and I've got my potato, look, and I'm very sorry about everything.' Mr. Pin was feeling quite calm now. The mountains of madness have many little plateau of sanity. Death stared into the madly smiling face. "'You are very sorry?' "'Oh, yes.' "'About everything?' "'Yep.' "'At this time, in this place, you declare you are sorry?' "'That's right, you got it. You're bright. So, if you'll just show me how to get back—' "'You would not like to reconsider?' "'No arguing. I want what's due,' said Mr. Pin.' I've got my potato, look. And I see. Death reached into his robe and pulled out what looked to Mr. Pin at first sight, like a miniature model of himself. But there was a rat skull looking out from under the tiny cowl. Death grinned. Say hello to my little friend, he said. The death of rats reached out and snatched the string. Hey! Do not put all your trust in root vegetables. What things seem may not be what they are, said Death. Yet let no one say I don't honour the law, he snapped his fingers. Return, then, to where you should go. Blue light flickered for a moment around the astonished pin, and then he vanished. Death sighed and shook his head. The other one had something in him that could be better, he said. But that one, he sighed deeply. Who knows what evil lurks in the heart of men? The death of rats looked up from the feast of potato. Squeak, he said. Death waved a hand dismissively. Well, yes, obviously me, he said. I just wondered if there was anyone else. William, ducking from doorway to doorway, realised that he was taking the long way round. Otto would have said that it was because he didn't want to arrive. The storm had abated slightly, although stinging hail still bounced off his hat. The much bigger balls from the initial onslaught filled the gutters and covered the roads. Carts had skidded, pedestrians were hanging onto the walls. Despite the fire in his head, he took out his notebook and wrote, "'Hailstones bigger than golf balls.' and made a mental note to check one against a golf ball just in case. Part of him was beginning to understand that his readers might have a very relaxed attitude about the guilt of politicians, but were red-hot on things like the size of the weather. He stopped on the brass bridge and sheltered in the lee of one of the giant hippos. Hail peppered the surface of the river with a thousand tiny sucking noises. The rage was cooling now. For most of William's life, Lord de Word had been a distant figure staring out of his study window in a room lined with books that never got read, while William stood meekly in the middle of the acres of good but threadbare carpet and listened to, well, viciousness mostly, now that he thought about it, the opinions of Mr. Windling dressed up in more expensive words. The worst part, the worst part, was that Lord de Word was never wrong. It was not a position he understood in relation to his personal geography. People who took an opposing view were insane or dangerous, or possibly even not really people. You couldn't have an argument with Lord de Word, not a proper argument. An argument from argue 
meant to debate and discuss and persuade by reason. What you could have with William's father was a flaming row. Icy water dripped off one of the statues and ran down William's neck. Lord de Word used words with a tone and a volume that made them as good as fists, but he'd never used actual violence. He had people for that. Another drop of thawed hail coursed down William's spine. Surely even his father couldn't be this stupid. He wondered if he should turn over everything to the watch right now, but whatever they said about Vimes, in the end the man had a handful of men and a lot of influential enemies who had families going back a thousand years and the same amount of honour that you'd find in a dogfight. No, he was a de word. The watch was for other people who couldn't sort out their problems their own way. And what was the worst that could happen? So many things, he thought as he set out again, that it would be hard to decide which one was the worst. End of CD 9